0: Praise the Lord. All right. Text scripture is Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And this is our fourth week of a series entitled Waiting Patiently for God. No, I said patiently. Now how are you going? How did a how peanut gallery go and say I said it wrong? And she's a trained listener. Amen. She had, what, 20-plus years as a course Hearing every word, now we've got to go back and double-check those transcripts. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, well. At least I try. <laughs> All right, anyway. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So that's just amazing. We say that if we make the Lord of our trust and wait on him, just look at the number of thoughts and the wonderful works that it talks about God presenting to his people. Amen. Hallelujah. So even if we think God's not there, we think he's absent, we, we think he's uncaring, the word of God shows us clearly here that the number of thoughts he has towards us, we can't even calculate. Amen. So you can go out and get your Cray supercomputer, amen. They've in a situation today in this day and age where people actually take their computers, their individual PCs, and have them all networked, and what they do is they actually share the processing power to create a supercomputer. They're using this now to look out into the depths of outer space, amen. But yet, even if they connect all those computers to, to calculate the amount of time and the number of thoughts that God expresses or focuses on you, they cannot be numbered. Wow. <laughs> Amen. So God thinks about you way more than you think about him. (laughs) As much as you love him, and me and God are bosom buddies, God thinks about you way more than you can ever think about him. Amen. And that's good when you're in a time of trouble. So with no further ado, let's open up a word of prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Father, for just showing us how to wait. Patiently on you, Father. There's times where things are going on, and it may seem that we're not getting a remedy to our situations, Father. It seems that sometimes we wonder, why hasn't anything changed? Why haven't you given me the breakthrough right now? But as we've seen over the last few weeks, there's times in which we have to do it a certain way. Amen. Having a sense of expectation while also continuing to walk faithfully in you, trusting you that you're going to come through. At the proper time. So right now, Father, we thank you that your word will continue to penetrate our hearts, motivate us, guide us, comfort us, and deliver us, Father. And most of all, show us how to wait patiently for you, Hallelujah, as we're anticipating breakthroughs. And we just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, Father, for what you are speaking to our lives today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So over the last few weeks, I'm sure you all remember, but we had talked about. How do you handle adversity? And we examined the fact that some people act impulsively, anxiously, or in haste, while others or that are much wiser prayerfully seek God's intervention. Then we looked at the mindset we have in terms of waiting. Do you wait for God's answers, being fearful of the situation getting worse, being fearful of losing opportunities or relationships with people? Do you murmur against God? which is the worst of things, or do you continue to trust in God even though you may not have seen uh, what you desire for him come through yet? We also talked about don't let your emotions rule you. Your emotions will get you into trouble, amen? A lot of times they will take you a lot deeper into trouble than they will help you, so we have to be careful not to let our emotions govern us. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have emotions. We're not called to be Christian robots walking around, like the Stepford-wise, but what it's basically saying is that you're going to have emotions about situations, but before you act upon your emotions, take them back to the Word of God to see, first of all, am I thinking and perceiving and feeling about this the right way? And even if it is negative and hurtful or traumatic, still let the Word of God govern how you handle that situation, and God will give you breakthroughs. Uh, Starting last week, we looked at binding yourself to God, and we talked about who we entangle ourselves with. Do we entangle ourselves with God according to his word, meaning that everything about us is wrapped up in him? Or do we get ourselves entangled with people that might pull us down or weigh us down? And we examine how the tephila and the phylacteries according to the Jewish tradition, they literally attach the word of God to themselves with leather straps. We don't have to do that in this day and age, but God, in a similar fashion, wants us to wrap ourselves up, mind, body, and spirit in his word, so we're not separated from it. And we ended last week with binding ourselves up spiritually to God. And that's where we talked about walking, not in the counsel of the ungodly, but walking in the full counsel of God's word. And he is the one that will make you like a tree planted by the water, unmovable, well-nourished, and able to sustain the tests and trials that are thrown your way. And the fact that God also not only makes you fruitful, but he prevents your fruit from withering. Amen. So now we're going to go on this week. And we're going to talk about binding yourself mentally, amen, binding yourself mentally. And in our text scripture, it did talk about us waiting patiently on God. And as we saw, waiting patiently meant that you have a sense of girding yourself up or entangling yourself with God and trusting in him to give you the strength, even as you're through the process of waiting on him, giving you the strength to not only get through it but get to the other side, to victory. Amen. So we're going to look at a verse. First Peter chapter one, verses thirteen to sixteen. And we're talking about girding ourselves up mentally in God. First Peter one thirteen says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be ye holy for i am holy now that word or that phrase gird up means to bind yourself about repeatedly especially with a belt so if you think about that let's say that you have a belt or some kind of strap and you're in a situation where you might fall off something. So instead of allowing that to happen, you wrap yourself around multiple times. It has some kind of hinge or locking mechanism on there. You wrap yourself in good and tight, nice and snug so you're not sliding around. Strap that thing in, and you're able to hang on no matter what is coming your way to try to cause you to deviate off course or to fall. And one of the ways that you can think about this in terms of our daily well, maybe not our daily lives, but in uh, people around us, is that I think of mountain climbers, amen? Now, unless you're crazy, if you're going up on a mountain, you have to be intelligent enough to bind yourself with holsters, ropes. A lot of times they have spikes on their feet. They're going up and scaling the mountain, and last time I checked, no mountain is totally straight up and down. you got jagged edges, you have areas that are... Different shapes, different sizes, as you're going up the side of the mountain. There's a lot of places where it might appear that when you put your foot down, it's a safe location. Only for you to put your foot there, and because the rocks or the dirt is loose, as soon as you plant the weight down, your foot slips. So mountain climbers are very intelligent in the sense that they know that climbing up to this place at the top can sometimes be dangerous or even fatal. So to avoid the fatality that they might experience in the climb, they get ropes, they get harnesses, they get holsters, they get different things that they hammer in, spikes and things like that to attach themselves, and they go up higher and higher and higher to finally get to the peak or the precipice of the mountain, amen? So that's similar to us in our walk with God. As you're going through your journey with God, God's trying to get you to new heights, He's trying to get you to new locations. He's trying to show you things that are well beyond what you thought you may have been able to accomplish. But along that journey, a lot of times there's areas in which you may stumble. So you have to be smart. When you come to the place where you might be able to stumble in life, do you just fall down and say, I've been devastated and destroyed by the situation? Or are you smart enough to say, I'm going on this journey, but the entire time I'm embarking on this journey, I'm keeping God on my mind. Amen. I'm wrapped up in him. I've tethered my thought patterns to him. So even though I may seem like I'm about to slip, it's not going to be a fatal injury. Mountain climbers, when they slip, it's common to them that they might slip and suffer a rope burn. They might bruise a knee, get a bump here or there, maybe even get a cut. But because they keep themselves tethered by the ropes that are taking them up to higher heights, the successful ones never fall to their death, even though they may sometimes fall 20, 30 feet because they plant their feet wrong. But thank God, even though they fall because they're still attached to that line, they may drop down more than the height of a building, but yet they're still dangling there. Amen. Whew. It's not for the faint of heart. Then again, walking with God a lot of times is not for the faint of heart either. So you might go through a situation, you might fall, but thank God, if you are tethered to the word of God, it's not a fatal injury, even though the enemy might throw everything plus the kitchen sink your way. So like I said, we need to affix, in other words, not only tether, but affix our minds, our thought process upon what he thinks, what his principles are, how he sees things. A lot of times we need to elevate our thoughts so that we no longer think about things according to this world system. And when we do that, we're able to rise above the situations that we face, even though it may seem that the enemy has us exactly where he wants us. Amen? Now, I've had another situation in which I've personally experienced tethering things. There have been times where I've gone to a Home Depot or Lowe's and... Maybe I'm purchasing sheetrock or something like that that's too big to get inside the car. So especially if I'm using the Outback, it has rails on top that were intended for bikes or skis or something like that, a kayak or whatever you want to throw on top of the vehicle. And there's been times where I have something on there that's heavy in weight or it's too big to get inside the vehicle. So what I do is I will put it on top of there, but I wouldn't just put it on top and then just drive off because if I did that, Number one, the thing might slide down over my windshield and next you know, I'm swerving off the road and crashing. Number two, it might slide off the back or to the side and be destroyed on the ground. Or it can endanger another driver that is following up behind me or coming in the opposite direction. So I've been smart enough over the years that if I'm carrying something that I can't get inside of my vehicle, I'll put it on the top. But like I said, I strap it in so thoroughly front and back, side to side, that that thing can't move. And it's the same thing with us. There's going to be situations in life where we're going through something. But if you attach yourself to God so strongly that the winds of light may come your way, you're not getting knocked off in left field away from God. You're not getting, You're not falling back from God. You're not blind to yourself in God, but you're totally attached to him, strapped in heavily, and capable of going through situation after situation after situation with God right there holding you tight and keeping you from falling off course. Amen? God wants to help us get to our destiny, but it's up to us to have our minds, first of all, elevated and then totally affixed to him so that we don't get knocked off course from him. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to look at something else in regard to girding ourselves up spiritually. And we see that in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. All right, Proverbs 3, verses 19 through 26. The Lord, by wisdom, hath founded the earth. By understanding, hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down to dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. Pam, I I knew I thought I had that. It's the verse that Pam was talking about. (laughs) We're going to it. I'll read the whole thing again. This is good. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid... Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. So we see here that the Lord does certain things. And this really caught my eye. We're talking about the establishment of the heavens and the earth. And it says that when God did that, by wisdom, he founded the earth. That word wisdom means good sense. In other words, God wasn't just all chaotic and fumbling through his thought process. He wasn't being finicky about what he was going to do. It says by good sense, God said, I'm going to establish the earth. Amen. So God thought it out and he had a game plan and he started to bark on it. Then it says by understanding, hath he established the heavens. Understanding means intelligence. Discretion, skillfulness, reason, and wittiness. Amen? Once again, it means intelligence, discretion, skillfulness, reason, and wittiness. So we see, number one, God by good sense founded the earth. Then it says, by intelligence, discretion, skillfulness, reason, and wittiness, hath he established the heavens. Then it goes further and says, by his knowledge, the depths are broken up. That word knowledge means awareness through the power of uh, observation, and it means a sense of recognition. So we see that, once again, God did not establish the heavens and earth in chaos. He didn't put it together and say, oh, I messed up royally. Let's erase the thing and do it all over again. It says that God, in the foundation of everything that we're basically depending on, did it in good sense in intelligence, discretion, skillfulness, reason, and wittiness, with a sense of awareness, the power of observation, and a sense of recognition. In other words, God had a game plan. He formed and fashioned it. He thought it out. And before he went forth with it, he thought totally about what he was going to do, looked at all the possibilities, all the requirements, all the future needs of what he had established, and then he did it. Amen? Then he tells us, Not to let these things. What are those things? Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Don't let them what? Depart from their eyes. So God is telling us the same way in the foundation of the heavens and earth, I operated under these three things. As you're going out on a daily basis, pursuing your goals, going after your endeavors, handling your responsibilities, I want you to do the same thing, and don't let these things depart from your eyes. In other words, don't walk out one day with wisdom, understanding, and the knowledge, and then the next day you're walking out in total foolishness. Amen? He's saying every day you go out, don't let these principles depart from your eyes. Why? Because if you do these things and you walk in sound wisdom and discretion your life will be peaceful and you will feel grace about your neck. Now, if you don't do that and you let wisdom, knowledge, and understanding depart from your eyes, then instead of having grace upon your neck, you'll have what? Burdens, trials and tribulations, controversy, confusion, scandal, hurt, trauma, anger, bitterness, These are the sort of things that will be about your neck if you depart upon the things that God said not to deviate from your eyes or depart from your eyes. Amen? So God is telling us that he wants us to walk out with the same sense of discretion, intelligence, wisdom. We need to observe things. We need to recognize the pitfalls and the trials and tribulations that we could venture into if we don't operate in God's principles and in his perceptions. And if we do that, it says not only will we have grace about our neck, but as Pam had mentioned during prayer, it says that you can lie down at bed at night and your sleep shall be sweet. Amen. So instead of you tossing around in bed, I'm having insomnia right now because my life is just a mess. Instead of having that, if we're operating under God's principles, he is promising us that our sleep will be sweet. That doesn't mean you're not going to have trials and tribulations, amen? There will be a lot of times that you're going through certain things. There are certain things that are not sin-based, just things that due to the world system, due to the economy, due to other people, we're going to go through some hardship at times. But the difference between you going out and acting foolishly and then not being able to sleep at night or going through trials and tribulations but being able to lay down at night is the fact that you're operating under God's perceptions on a daily basis. Amen? So we need to do that. Have the mindset of God, operate in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and God will enable us to have sleep at night and have peace in our life overall. We see here that we don't have to trust in ourselves. We don't have to fear The consequences of what people or the enemy could do to us, we see here that if we do it God's way, he shall be our confidence. Just think about that. You don't have to be confident in yourself. God says, I will be your confidence. (laughs) So there's going to be times where you say, man, am I making the right move? Am I looking at this right? Am I about to screw up royally? And God said, I'll be your confidence. As you're praying, as you're reading his word, all of a sudden God will speak to you and say, it may not seem according to common sense or mankind that this is the right way to do this, but God will give you that sense of peace. He will lend you his confidence, amen, so that you know that you're okay. And as we see here, he will keep our feet from being taken. In other words, the enemy might throw different things our way, but the enemy cannot overcome us. God will prevent our feet from being taken. Hallelujah. So God, the same way as I stated that I secured something to my car to prevent it from crashing to the ground and being destroyed. If we trust in God, he says that he will basically strap us in, secure us, and help keep us stable on a daily basis. Amen. Hallelujah. Next thing we'll look at is Psalm chapter 16, verses 7 through 9. Psalm 16, verses 7 through 9. It says, I will bless the Lord who have given me counsel, my reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Now, as I was looking at this, first I was thinking about counsel from the perspective of advice. But as I really thought about this, and looked at this word in underlying Hebrew, it actually brought out more insight into what God is saying in this passage of Scripture. Because that word counsel means formal consultation, the process of careful consideration of all sides of an issue, weighing and examining the reasons for and against decisions, amen, including alternative courses of action before providing final advice. Amen? I'll read that again. It's talking about a formal consultation, the process of careful consideration of all sides of an issue, weighing and examining the reasons for and against decisions, including alternative courses of action before providing final advice. So in other words, it's saying we should bless the Lord who has done what? He has given us counsel. God has given the process careful consideration. Our Lord and Savior has considered all sides of the issue. Just think about how many times we're looking at something and saying, I think this is the way I should handle that situation, and you can't even see the spirits behind what's going on. You don't see how people that might be smiling in your face might be plotting to undermine you. But God himself is saying, I will be your counsel. I'll evaluate the situation, look at it all sides of the issue, whether they are open and visible or whether they're hidden behind the scenes. And then after I've examined everything and seen it for what it is, I'll weigh it, examine the, the pros, the cons, think about alternative ways to handle the situation. And then I, the Lord and creator of the universe, will come to you and say, here's what you should do to handle your situation now if you just think about that God has given us advice but how many times do we decide to do it our own way when looking at that definition you got to admit it's totally foolish for God to tell us to do this and we go do that amen (laughs) because we can't see all sides of the situation and the ones that might seem to be promoting and encouraging us the most might be the one going back to the house praying against you Making a phone call, shooting off an email, <laughs> trying to undermine you. But thank God that if we heed his counsel, he could see all that. Amen? And God might not necessarily tell you that there's people praying against you or trying to undermine you, but God might expose to you the fact that you can't do this and you need to do that and trust me in this. Amen? To make sure that you get the victory. But because we get in the way, amen, we cause ourselves... A lot of problems. Now, one of the things that caught my eye here as well is not only the counsel that God provides us, but it also talks about us having soundness of our mind. Where it talks about my reins instructing me, the reins is talking about my mind. But just think about the fact that it talks about our mind not only processing things during the day, but during the night seasons, and it talks about it being reins. Amen? When we think about reins, we think about like the reins of a horse. That that thing's galloping full speed and all of a sudden the rider decides that he wants to stop or slow down. He pulls back on the reins to prevent the horse from going further. Amen. Sometimes the Lord has to speak to your mind and say, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Hold it back. Keep the mouth shut. Don't go there. Stop in your tracks. Danger will Robinson." Amen. Sometimes God has to do that. But are we responding to the tugging that God is giving us? on the reins of our minds as well as our heart. Amen? We've seen in these verses here uh, sound wisdom. We've seen the soundness of our mind and everything. And I was looking at soundness of mind, and we're all familiar with 2 Timothy 1.7. God is not given a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. I looked up the definition of a sound mind from a legal perspective. Legal definition of a sound mind is that state of a man's mind, which is adequate to reason and to come to a judgment based upon ordinary subjects like a rational individual. <laughs> Tan's laughing. She did too many depositions, too many trials. Amen. So a sound mind is basically when you're able to look at a situation, evaluate it, reason it, understand it, grasp the subject, and then respond to it, whether it's verbally or in your actions, like a rational individual. In other words, you're not flipping out, spewing nonsense, going crazy, losing all rationality. Instead, you can examine a situation and basically remain stable despite the things that you're dealing with. And in a court situation, if you're not in a place where you're of sound mind legally, they would basically say that you're incompetent to stand trial. Amen? But in the world system, if you're able to stand trial, and they say they find you competent, they not only say that you're capable of understanding everything that you're dealing with right now, but even what you're competency being proven, they still expect you to respond to the advice of your legal counsel. Now, in a courtroom, if you were to defend it, you wouldn't try to oppose your counsel. You would listen to what he says, and he might not give it to you the way you like it, but if you want to basically get away from the charges that are coming your way and not go to jail or suffer some major monetary fine, you would listen to the counsel or the lawyer, because you trust his expertise to give you the right judgment on how you should proceed to get yourself out on the side of that trial, victorious, amen? That's what an everyday human lawyer. Now, God is saying here, he will be our counsel. He will give us sound judgments, sound advice, sound deliberations, amen, and evaluations of situations to tell us how to handle them. But for some strange reason, even though we have God, God. Serving as our legal counsel, which is actually very ironic when he's the ultimate judge of the universe, but he still chooses to stand at your right hand as your legal counsel. And then we choose to say, okay, I hear you, Lord, but I got to do this myself. Amen? (laughs) So we wonder why we perjure ourselves or we end up incriminating ourselves despite the advice that the Lord has given us. Amen? So just think about that. God is willing to be your legal counsel, not only against the enemy, the accuser, or the brethren, but on a daily basis as we're going around dealing with situations in life. God's saying, I'm willing to be your counsel, but we're basically turning it down and saying, I got this, Lord. Then we wonder why we keep ending up in the courtroom. <laughs> You're ignoring your legal counsel. <laughs> And sometimes you're being found guilty of charges when God would have got us off, amen? So anyway, we we looked at binding ourselves up spiritually last week. This week, we looked at binding ourselves up mentally. And now, we're going to look at binding ourselves to God in our actions. Because, as I said earlier on, that phrase, waiting patiently for God, means to bind yourself to God. So we want to bind ourselves to God. We don't want to do it just in terms of... Our mind. We need to do it in terms of our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit, as well as in our actions. Amen. All right. So the first thing we'll look at is from 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-two, and I'm actually going to read that out of the Amplified Bible. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-two. It says, "For he who, as a slave, was commanded in to union with the Lord." is a freedman of the Lord, just so he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ, the Messiah. So there's a paradox here. It's, it's kind of, let's say it's just reverse. A lot of times we associate being a bondsman or slave with being in prison and being in a life of servitude that is oppressive and forced upon you. But basically he's telling us here that if we are a slave to God, It is not something that puts you into bondage. Instead, it puts you in union with your Lord and Savior. And he says that union or slavery with me is actually making you a free man because you're free from the devices, the entanglements, and the weight of what the world system will place upon you. So slavery to God is actually the greatest freedom that you can ever experience. Amen? So when we are called as a bondservant to God, this would be something that we appreciate. And what he's basically talking about here is that you're not only a bondservant or slave to God, but this is something that you do not only in terms of your spirit being in union with God, but also your mentality, your perceptions, and your actions, which are one of the main things that gets us entangled on a daily basis. So that word slave there... The thing that's interesting about it is that a lot of times we associate slavery with somebody that is out somewhere and another person comes in, puts them in chains, does some kind of act of violence or oppression, and puts them into forced servitude, which includes permanent oppression. But in this case, the word slave means one who is in voluntary subjection or subservience to another. So this is a desire to be God's servant. Amen? A desire to say, God, I no longer want to define my life by what I want. But God, what do you have in store for me today? What do you want me to do? Uh, How do you want me to chart out my life over the next day, over the next week, three, six months ahead, or over the next five to ten years? What do you desire for my life? And instead of finding oppression from that, you feel a sense of joy and a sense of peace because of the one that you're in union with. Amen? Hallelujah. And that word free here, as we see in the second part, means unrestrained or exempt from liability. So God is giving you, in his bondage, he's actually giving you a form of freedom that also keeps you exempt from liability. In other words, when you go out, even if you stumble in God, you're exempt from liability because of the one you serve. Even if you go out you mess up royally, because he's paid the price through his sacrifice, he absolves us of the liability even when we mess up because we are serving one who is totally willing to pay the price, not only for eternal salvation, but also for everything that we can encounter on a daily basis. Now we go to our next passage of Scripture. It's also in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit with your God. So we see it here clearly what I just said, that we are bought with a price. And the price tag is not monetary gain. It is not trading stocks and bonds. The price that we were purchased with is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on that cross. Amen. And that's the most priceless thing in existence. And he saw fit despite our sins, despite our shames, despite all the different things that we may have encountered from the time of our birth up to the age that we are now. God saw fit to send his only begotten son to pay the price for us that we would not have to suffer the consequences of our actions. And the only thing that he wants us to do in appreciation of that, because we can never repay the price, is to have a life in which we say, I'm getting up on a daily basis. What do you want me to do today, God? It may not be convenient. It might not be something I want to do today. But if it's something that needs to be done, I'm willing to do it. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times where I would have rather have just stayed home and relaxed or done something that might have been fun like a sport or go to an event. But I'm up in a hospital, I'm at a house, I'm driving somewhere that might not be the best of places to go, but it was something that needed to be done because God needed a servant there that would be available to pray or to provide wise counsel to somebody that was hurting. So there is a price of that servitude, a price sometimes of your talents, your funds, your inconvenience to what you want to do. But in comparison, the price that was paid is small. Amen? Anything we could do in terms of our servitude to God is small in comparison for what he did for us. Amen. And we should consider that something that is no way, shape, or form an equal exchange. You haven't even touched it. (laughs) Repayment of the price. Amen. But it's just a small act of of adoration that we could do in response to our Lord and Savior. Amen. To bless the Lord that we serve. So it says here that we should glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are his. In other words, he owns, he's got a deed, not only for eternal salvation, but he's got a deed on you right now with the price that he paid. So we should be going out in a mindset that in everything we do, we seek to glorify God. In other words, we make the light of Jesus' love, we make the wisdom of God radiate from us in such a way that people see it and say, there's something different about that person. They're not handling this the same way. I feel the love of God surrounding them and coming upon me as I'm interacting with them, even though it might be a situation in which I've done them wrong or chaos is going on. In those situations is where they should be able to see the presence of God exposed, and then we should be able to use that in situations in which we could touch them and let them know about Jesus Christ and how they need him as well. So that's the sort of mindset that we should have on a daily basis. I want to look at somebody who had that mindset, and that would be Paul the apostle. And you've got to realize that Paul was a man that was heavily credentialed in his day and age. He had the best of religious training. Basically, he was a bad boy. He had education. He was a Roman citizen. He could go into the temple before the councils, and he could reason with the best of them. But yet, Paul, after he gave his life over to Jesus Christ, he basically said that everything was about serving him and pleasing the one who had atoned for his sins. So we're going to read a passage where Paul is basically demonstrating this. All right, so Acts chapter 20, verses 16 through 27, and it says, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all season, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So we see here, Paul, who had already talked about being a bondsman to God, a servant and a slave, we see here that even before he was in a situation where he was literally in shackles or behind the walls of a jail cell, he said, in the spirit, I am in bonds unto Jesus Christ. And he said, even though I don't know exactly what's awaiting me, at some of the destinations that are before me. He said, I'm already bound in the spirit to go where he tells me to go. So the physical shackles are just a consequence of where I'm willing to go because of my willingness to serve and glorify the one that saved me. So he said, I'm perfectly willing to do this. He said, I'm already in bonds in the spirit before I am in the flesh anyway. So whatever is ahead of me, I'm not really concerned. Matter of fact, he says, I don't even count my life dear unto myself. I don't treasure my life anymore. He says, what I treasure is the joy of serving Jesus Christ. Now imagine that. He's filled with joy in the servitude of Jesus Christ, even though he knows that physical bonds are waiting him ahead. And he says, this is an honor and a privilege unto him. Matter of fact, he goes forth and says, you people here, you're not going to see my face anymore. But yet, I'm still going to that destination anyway. So in his actions, in his mind, in his spirit, he was totally bound to God. And when you're in that situation, as we see here, he's actually awaiting something that a lot of people will run from. But he says, I'm still empowered and I still have a sense of joy in it because I know that God is totally in the midst of the situation. So those of us who are on a journey with God in front of us and we don't know what it is, we can still have joy at the fact of the transition into that place where he's taking us if we're going through trials and tribulation right now and we haven't seen god give us the breakthrough to our circumstances yet we can still have joy and peace and have patience in god because in our mind in our body in our spirits our life is hid in him and we know that he's going to turn that situation around for his glory amen and with that is a sense of freedom paul was free in the flesh to say that I reject all my own desires. He said he was bound in the Spirit, but he was liberated in the flesh because he was not concerned about what men could do to him. And we see here that, like it says here, that even to the point of death, he was not concerned about that because the only thing that was dear was his servitude, his faithful servitude to Jesus Christ, no matter what he was instructed to do. Now, going back to our text scripture, it talks about... In verse 1 of Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And that's what I want to talk about as we're getting towards the end of this. Inspiring God to incline towards you. Amen? And my question today is, have you ended God into your situation? Amen? Have you ended God into your situation? And the reason I say that is that our text scripture includes a conjunction, the word and. You see here clearly it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, semicolon, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. So have you anded God yet? Maybe God hasn't inclined towards you yet, in other words, because you have not waited patiently for him. So there's a process there. Before we can expect God sometimes to incline towards us and hear our cry, sometimes instead of murmuring, complaining, running out in haste, being full of fear, crying and complaining and moaning and groaning about situations, we need to learn to wait patiently for God because that is the catalyst for him after you have done that process for him then to say, okay, they've waited patiently for me, they're trusting in me, now... I'm going to incline, and I'm going to hear their cry in a situation. So like I said, this is a key thing. Have you ended God in your situation by first waiting patiently and then having him do his part, which is to respond to your patient waiting? And we see here that it says that if you have waited patiently upon him, then he will be more poised to attend to your cries regarding your circumstances that word inclined in our text scripture it means to stretch forth to bend toward or to offer in thought focus or action. So like I said, maybe God has not stretched forth in your situation, bent towards you, or offered you a resolution or insight on how to resolve your problem because you haven't gone through the initial process that triggers it, which is to wait patiently on God. And As we've seen over the last few weeks, waiting patiently on God is not just a process of, I've been sitting here for 21 days like Daniel did. No, you have to be waiting there for whatever amount of time that God dictates for your life with a sense of anticipation, with a sense of hope and trust, and with prayerful reverence, adoration, and praise that the God you serve is going to come through on your circumstances. As long as you're on a cycle of murmuring, complaining, and not trusting God, that might be the very thing that blocks him from inclining to your situation and turning things around. So we have to do our part. Amen? And I'm not saying that sometimes God won't deliver us despite how we're handling the situation. But what I will tell you is that over the years, as you mature in Christ, the same way with a child, if they trip as a toddler and bump their knee and cry, you'll rush your aid. But when that same child is five, seven, ten years old, and they bump and fall, instead of rushing to the A oh all baby, and you rubbing the knee and kissing the cheeks like that, when they're ten years old, twelve, you might be like, you better stop whining like a baby, get up, dust yourself off. Amen? <laughs> so it's the same thing with us. Some of us may have never learned to wait on God. Maybe we're a little spoiled spiritually. And God, every time we trip over and bump our knee, Want God to run and stroke your boo-boo and make you feel better. Well, there's a time where God says, no, I need you to wake up. I need you to grow up. I need you to man or woman up. <laughs> Stop your whining. <laughs> Stop your murmuring, complaining. Learn to trust. And sometimes you got to clean yourself off. Your, sometimes you got to go wipe the knee. <laughs> Put a little alcohol on it or some peroxide. Sometimes you got to go wash it clean. Because God says you're in a place where I can't baby you anymore. And how am I going to get you to your destiny where you might be in the palace like a Joseph or the governor's mansion or the lead of that church or that corporation? How am I going to ever get you to that place where you're still a spiritual toddler and I'm still babying you every time you stumble? There has to be a time where you have to be able to get up Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, wipe your own tears and keep moving despite the pain that you might be suffering. Amen. So when God sees that in every trial and tribulation, you just murmuring, complaining, basically he's saying that you haven't matured yet. And that might be a reason in which He say, I'm not dusting you off this time. I'm sick and tired of babying you. This time you're going to have to act a little more mature, stop crying and whining and get up and keep moving because another thing is if you're a parent or a big brother or something like that you always bail somebody out they never develop strength amen if you always bail somebody out they never get their own strength they never even see that they have strength if you're always jumping in fending for them I remember times as a little kid if somebody was picking on my little brother I'd step in and deal with it but then there's other times like no he's got to get up and push that bully back himself I can't be fighting the battles for him all the time because he's going to be a grown-up sissy If I'm always fighting his battles. So it's the same thing with us spiritually. God wants us to grow up and move and learn to fight and endure and continue moving on with him the same way he does the process of children. God really could have had mankind just sprout up on the earth in adult form. I mean, he's God, right? (laughs) The same way the seasons of life with the elements of nature, and we see the earth rotating around the sun, and we see night and day, and we see the seasons going around, and we count years going around the sun. It is a process of development from a baby up until an adult. There certain things that God could have just said, hey, bring forth adults all the time. But I think there's a parallel in the spirit to what we see as a child. When a child is born, we take care of every need. But as they go through various stages of growing up into adulthood, we start pulling back. And start letting them fend for themselves. And the same thing with us in terms of the spirit. God can't always baby you. You got to go through that same process of development. You start at, off as a baby in the kingdom of God. God's just doing everything for you. You pray five minutes, you got the answer. <laughs> Lord, I'm broke. I need twenty five dollars. The doorbell rings. When you're a baby in Christ, and the person's there at the door, <laughs> is twenty five dollars. <laughs> Then you get older in Christ, and after a while, God's got to pull back some so we can grow into spiritual adulthood. Amen? So like I said, God, if we wait, will move in our direction. He will stretch forth, bend toward us, offer us insight, focus in in action, but we have to go through the process of waiting and maturing in him. I've seen a lot of situations over the years, like I said, where I've seen and felt the presence of God coming into the situation. There have been times where I know of people that have been sick and been praying about something for a while, then all of a sudden when that process of waiting has gone through and that person's been praying and praying, all of a sudden it's like you literally feel the presence of God entering into that situation and touching it. But it was after that process had been completed and that same level of diligence and trust was in the mix of it all the time. Because God's not going to respond when we have a sense of fear. Now, I want to go to a few verses in relation to this. First one is Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. A Psalm of David. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. So we see here that we should be lifting up our soul unto the Lord. And when it's talking about that, It's not talking about trying to lift your physical body up to heaven. No, instead, when it's talking about your soul, it's basically talking about your soulish man, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it's saying that instead of letting trials and tribulations and attacks of the enemy of people discourage you and make you despondent or something like that, instead it says you need to lift your mindset, your thought patterns up to God. Lift your soul up to him and continue to trust in him and wait on him. And even if you need to pray to God and say, God, don't let my enemies triumph over me, that's fine. It's okay to say that to God. Just don't let yourself be in a place where you feel that your enemies are going to defeat you. Amen. So there's a difference between being despondent, coming to God and going to God and say, here's what's trying to weigh me down. I ask you to encourage me and empower me and don't let them overcome me. Amen. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And what that's basically shown us in this passage is we need to pray, trust and ask God to show us how to properly handle situations from his perspective. And we should, with that prayer, anticipate the fact that he's going to respond and show us how to do the very thing we've asked him for. Amen. Don't just pray to God, God, show me how to handle this, and then you walk around and never get an answer. No. If you ask me a question, you're going to expect me to respond back. You should have the same mindset with God that you're having with an individual. If you're praying to God and anticipating something through His Word, through the Holy Spirit speaking directly, through your dreams, when you wake up in the morning, you be like, whoa, I got an answer here. <laughs> Amen. Even with your career, God can speak to you sometimes and give you insight to something. Just this past week I had a situation where I was dealing with something in computer code and it wasn't working right. And you got thousands and thousands of lines of code. Sometimes it's very hard to isolate. A problem that could be a semicolon in the wrong place amen and needs to say that could be very frustrating sometimes to resolve that situation so I remember distinctly the one time I was like I'm gonna just get up walk away and take a break away I just gotta step away from this for a second and as I stepped away I was like Lord show me what that problem is and thank you for Show me what I need to do. And then also, Pam gave me this verse, which I have taped above my desk, talking about how the Lord basically inspires you and give you knowledge of witty inventions. So a lot of times, I'll read that verse for our getting up. So anyway, I walk off, and I said, Lord, show me that. As I'm walking, all of a sudden, like, bam. He's like, this is what it is. So I went, had my drink, ate a snack, went back to my desk, went to that line of code, typed the change, boom, working. Amen. So God's a great computer coder, too, (laughs) software engineer, along with everything else. So pray, trust, and anticipate when you're asking God for something that he's going to respond. Amen? And he's going to show you how to properly handle situations from not only his perspective, but as you saw in that situation, even from a programmatic perspective, God could give you insight. And I'm sure if he could do that with me, with computer code, whatever area you're in, real estate the flight industry, the school system, whatever it may be, God has the insight you need to enable you to handle whatever problems you're dealing with. So when you're praying and trusting in him, asking him questions, anticipate that God's going to inspire you with the way that you're going to be able to resolve the problem. And don't necessarily expect that you're going to hear the Ten Commandments voice. This is God. I've given you the, you know, God may not do that. He might give you a little small, still voice that won't scare you half to death. Amen. But whatever way God speaks to you, that's the way in which you'll get the answer and he'll show you how you need to do it. Now, I want to look at somebody that originally was doing stuff right in God, but then he changed. And we're going to see the results of that. So we're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Second Chronicles sixteen one through 9, it says, In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Bashar king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to ben king of Syria that dwelt at Damascus, saying... There is a league between me and thee as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Bashah, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto king Asa and sent the captains of his army against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan, Abel-Main, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass when Bashar heard it that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof wherewith Bashar was building and he built therewith Geba and Mizpah. And at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou have relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubums a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thy hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. So, previously, Asa was basically trusting God in everything that he did. And because he trusted God and he was prayerful and he believed that God was blessing him in his endeavors, everything he did, he did it in accord of what God wanted him to do and he was blessed. He had a time of peace. Nobody was messing with him. And even if they came to attack him, they were getting basically decimated easily because the hand of the Lord was upon him. Now... Unfortunately, after he had had his period of rest and was blessed, he decided that, you know what? My dad had a truce with this king, and his son is in rulership of the throne like I am. So, you know what? Let me go over here, and the same way my dad was at peace with him, I'm going to establish a truce with him. So he goes in, makes a truce, and because of that, as we see, the prophet comes in and says, because you're trusting in the truce with a man as opposed to trusting with God— now you're going to have wars. If you had continue to trust in God, you would have had a peace surrounding you all the time. And once again, even if people attacked you, I would have thwarted their every attack. But because you have trusted in a relationship with a man as opposed to trusting in me, now the very thing that you were concerned about, that's what you're going to experience going forward. Now you're going to have wars because you were foolish enough to trust in people instead of trusting in men. And that's the same thing. With us, as we're waiting patiently on God, are you looking to people to be the resolution of your situation? Are you trusting in them to open doors and to make a way to wedge you into a situation that maybe you shouldn't be in? And you're trusting them to give you the power and authority and the privilege to get you out of the obstacles that you're surrounded by right now? Or are you trusting God? to be the one that's going to break down strongholds and give you deliverance in your situation. As long as we're trusting in God, it is the hand of God that will come to help you overcome your problems. But if you trust in people, then God's going to back off. He said, I'm not going to allow you to get glory in a situation by accrediting it to man. Amen? So just think about that. You trust in somebody and say, well, if I can somehow get the phone number of that person, or drop my business card off, and that person sees my business card or my resume, and they call me, then wow, God's going to turn around my whole financial situation. And then you go get that situation, and you're going to say, see, because I gave them my business card, or I got my resume into the hand of the right person, I'm blessed. And God's like, no. He said, well, you got blessed by the hand of flesh, but... Either God will say, I'm going to totally back off and let that handle it. Or you might get a job, but you may not necessarily get what God would have had in store for you because you were trusting in the connections and the hookups with people more than you were with God himself. Amen? So we got to trust in God. And I've definitely seen that in my career over the last few years. Actually, the last three or four projects that I was working on, I didn't even pursue. People saw my resume out on databases out on the Internet, and they contacted me and said, hey, what is your availability? And then next, you know, I'm working with them. So I've actually been more successful in terms of God inspiring people to see my resume and contact me than in the situations where I was looking for an opportunity on a website or something like that, and I sent a resume out. God's method is working a lot better. And I made a lot more money on God's hookups than on the ones that I went after. So so God is opening up the door, amen, God can bless it, anoint it. And really, in terms of my livelihood over the last probably two to three years, the bulk of anything I've made has been through God establishing it. Amen. And there have been times where even with connections, I've been able to make income, but it seems like it's more fruitful overall and it lasts longer and it's more profitable when I'm just sitting back minding my business and God has opened the door for it. Amen. So there are going to be times, I'm not telling you to turn it down. I did a registration website for the VBA last year. That was all through me being a coach and a board member for years. So the door was open and they were like, hey, you're a logical choice. There are times where that will happen, but I'm saying don't trust in that. Trust in God to be the main one that's going to set you up for opportunities and good opportunities that are fruitful. Amen? Hallelujah. So trust totally in him, not on people, not on your crisis and worrying about it, and not on what your enemy is going to do. Trust in God to be the one that's going to be the resolution for all your situation. Now, we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, how we should be asking for things in God. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and this is the words of Jesus Christ, amen? It says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is heaven give good things to them that ask him? So we see here, Jesus Christ is basically comparing our Heavenly Father to our earthly fathers. And he says, hey, you've been dealing with your earthly father. Most situations, there's some nuts out here in this day and age, but for the most part, if a child... Ask their parents for something. If it's good for them, not harmful, not going to give you harmful stuff, but if it's good for them, and especially if it's something that's geared towards their daily necessities, food, shelter, clothing, education. If a child asks for it, the parent typically is going to give them what they ask for. So there's a sense of expectation that if you ask for something that's good for you, that you're not going to get in response to that something that is harmful or something that has no value whatsoever. Same thing in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us, ask, ask God for stuff. Did you ask? If you didn't get it, if you're waiting patiently for God and you haven't asked, then don't blame God if you didn't take the time to say, God, I need this. Amen? That begs the question, where are you at in your relationship with God? If you feel that you can't ask God something, number one, you need to say, hey, am I saved? Amen? Number two, if I'm saved then why would I not want to approach my father? Amen? And then going after that, it says not only ask him for something, but it says you need to seek. You need to seek him, and you should find it. After you've asked, do you just ask the question and then forget about it? So that if God came to you and said, you ask God, God, I need some bread. Then you walk off and forget about the bread. And then later that day, God says, here's your bread. And you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) In other words, if you ask God for something, first of all, anticipate it. Don't forget about it. You know, lay it up there at God's table and present it to him as petition and say, God, I have this need. And then you walk off, forget about it. He says, no, you need to ask me about it and then seek the response. In other words, anticipate the fact that if you ask for career, educational goals, healing in your body, whatever it is, if you ask God for it, then you should have a sense of, now that I've asked God for it, let me see and look for and anticipate the way in which he's going to respond to my prayer requests. So if you're seeking a job in God, you pray and say, God, please open up a door for me to have a job. And then you don't sit back and say, well, I asked God for a job, so I'm not sending any resumes. I'm not calling anybody. Yeah, I did get a business call and they said, hey, there's an open door for this job. Position sounds perfect for you. Call. I ain't calling because I asked God and God's just going to have them call me up one day. Say, here's your salary. Start Monday. No, ask God. Then start to seek. The doors will be opening for a job. You pray and ask God, and all of a sudden you get a phone call. Hey, you know, I just heard they're hiding over so-and-so. Well, you can't be waiting around. You need to get that resume out the door as soon as possible because that may be God's response to your prayer for that job. Amen? So we need to have a sense of anticipation, and then sometimes there are certain steps that we need to undergo to try to get that thing. If you're asking God for something and it has a requirement on your part to get it fulfilled, you need to do your part. You're praying to ask God for health. Heal me in my body, God. Head to toe. I'm sick as a dog. Heal me, God. And then you go out smoking a cigarette. Well, why ask God for something that you're already contaminating? Amen. If you have no intent to walk in health and change your habits, then don't ask God for healing. There might be a responsibility on your part for God to respond because God might be saying, Hey, I'm the ultimate healer, the ultimate physician. I can heal you from head to toe. But until you're going to break that stranglehold on those vices that will kill your body, why should I give you healing? Just imagine that. You're drinking or doing drugs or smoking cigarettes. And if God were to respond, it'd be the same thing like spoiling the child, spoiling the toddler or the little kid. I got, I got cancer, Lord, or I got emphysema, Lord. Lord, heal me. God heals you. Wake up one morning. My lungs are totally clean. Thank you, Jesus. My lungs are clean. Do you go out and smoke a cigarette. Then your lungs get filled up with tar again? Lord, heal my lungs. He heals your lungs. (gasps) Wake up another morning. I'm healthy again. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Where's my cigar? Why should God keep blessing you with something that you're not going to appreciate? Amen? So we need to ask God. We need to walk around seeking the response to the answers. Amen? And then have an expectation that when he makes doors available before us, that we go knock on those doors and... Get into the ones that he has open for us. Amen. And then, like I said, have an expectation that if we ask God for something, he's going to respond with something in that particular area. It may not be exactly what you pray for, but it should be something in that ballpark. Amen. So have an expectation that God's love as our heavenly father is just cause enough for us to go pray and seek him. And it's enough cause for Him to intervene in our struggles on a daily basis. My kids don't have to beg for me to help. It's my good pleasure to say, I'm doing something that's going to get my sons out into the world to be the best that they could be, to represent the Fox name, to be good Christians that represent Jesus Christ, and that have good, solid families and children that are coming up the same way or better than I raised them. That's my good pleasure to do that in their life. So if I have that mindset, As an earthly father, how much more so does your heavenly father desire that for all of us? The stuff we, as earthly parents, want for our kids, it just pales. It's almost abusive, and that's a weird way to say it. It's almost abusive, because anything we can imagine or dream for our kids, as we saw earlier on, God's thoughts are so great and so broad what we envision for the children, even if you were praying from the day of their birth that your child would be in the White House, it pales in comparison to what God has in store for him. We can't even imagine what to pray and to think for Colin Trey. We could do our best, but we can't even imagine what God could be thinking about that. He may be like, I think you're too small. Year 2050, Trey's going to be the governor of Mars. Amen? And we're trying to get him into a law firm. So you don't know What God is thinking about your children. Amen. So that being the case, as parents, it's our good pleasure to bless our children. God wants to do it even more. And we as children, both young and old, as we go to our Heavenly Father, realize that anything he desires for us is beyond what we can think of. If it's above what we can think of, it's above what we can ask. Because that being the case, why should we be afraid to present the things we're presenting to him? It's well beyond what he's even imagining for you. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we need to take stuff to God and realize it's his pleasure. Now, our text scripture also talks about having a new song in our mouth. We wait patiently on God, and as we're waiting and trusting and anticipating, we're not sitting there all depressed and discouraged and, is God going to come through? Instead, it talks about us having a new song in our mouth, and we can see a passage about a new song in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. It says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So it says here, see that you walk circumspectly. In other words, be heedful or mindful of the circumstances and the potential consequences of your actions. Basically what it's telling us is if you're walking around on a daily basis and you're not giving any consideration whatsoever of what the consequences of your behavior could be, he said, that's foolish. So he says, I need you to be wise. I want you to go out and say, okay, if I do this, if I go there, if I say this, if I say that, if I perceive this, this could be the end result of what is going on in my life. And I want to be going out thinking about things the same way God thinks about them. And if I'm anticipating something from God, don't be out foolsy running my mouth saying God didn't come through. Instead, be wise, be mindful, and take heed to the fact that if I speak out of unbelief, I could be crippling the delivery of God's resolution to my situation, be mindful of what I'm doing and saying, and also the impact that it can have in the lives of people that are around me. Not only could you be infecting them with unbelief in what you're saying, but you're speaking into yourself, but you also could be infecting other people with that negativity and that ungodly speech. So be aware of that, heed the consequences of it, and then think about things properly. And it says, instead of being in a murmuring, complaining mode, it says, you should be speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That word spiritual means supernatural or regenerative healing songs. You ever have a time where you just walk around and all of a sudden a song comes to your spirit? And it might be something you hear on the gospel radio or it could be just something that words just start to flow in your mind. Well, that's the kind of spiritual hymns and songs and words that God wants you to replay over and over again in your mind because they encourage you. When you start to feel weak, when you starting to feel drained and overwhelmed, if one of those songs come to your spirit, just keep loud it. Just don't sit there and say, well, I keep thinking about that stupid song. That song could be something that the Holy Spirit is placing in your mind to keep you built up, amen, to gird you up as we saw earlier. So don't fight the song. Let the thing play over and over again because with that song, it could be speaking revelation. And as we see here, it brings supernatural healing and regenerative power to it that even when you feel drained, all of a sudden you feel animated again. Like I can keep going even though my circumstances haven't changed yet. So allow these things to flow in your mind and your heart. And as we see here, continue to give thanks always and for all things of God. It sounds odd to say, I thank you, God, that I'm sick right now. Amen? That seems very odd. But it's not so much that you're thankful to God that you're sick. But thankful that you know that the God you serve is going to give you comfort right now. And he's going to use this trial right now. Whether it's sickness in your body, joblessness, whatever's going on. He can use that situation as a testimony to not only bless you and strengthen you and draw you closer to him. But also to show people watching you that, wow, the God they're serving is giving them peace in this trial and tribulation. Amen. So there's blessings associated with that. Now the final thing I want to share in this series, is that we need to realize God's attentiveness. Amen? Realize God's attentiveness. We saw in our text scripture that it says the thoughts that God has towards us. It actually says us word. (laughs) Amen? But the words that God has toward us are more than we can ever count. Now, the only way I can describe that is God is ultra-attentive to us. Amen? Whether it's spoken or not, God is... Attentive to every need that you have, every need that you can think or feel. God is totally aware of it and focused on it and just waiting for that proper situation to come through. Amen. Matter of fact, we take a step back. We wait for God. God doesn't wait. Waiting means that you're governed by time. God's not governed by time. There's a certain moment in our time that God's gonna bring forth the delivery, amen. So God's not sitting there like, oh, God, I can't wait. Oh, me, I can't wait for this time to come through. No, God is just allowing the proper time on the temporal realm to catch up with his moment in our time where he's going to intersect with it and bring forth your deliverance. Amen. So I want that to be clear because God is not governed by time. And I don't know why I had to share it. I just got that. But God is not governed by our time. He's not sitting there like he's getting impatient. We're the ones that have got to get to the moment in destiny where God says, okay, I'm intersecting with their time, and now I'm touching their life. Amen? Because if God had to wait, there's a possibility that he could be late. Amen? And we know God's never late. So we just got to get to the proper moment for God to intersect with us and impact us as he deems. So we need to realize as we're awaiting God that even though he may not have acted yet, it's not because he's an uncaring God. He is totally attentive to us, but we just got to get to that proper moment where he's going to step in and say, boom, enough. No more enemies touching my people. No more touching their bodies. No more touching their jobs and their finances. No more touching their peace of mind and their family. No more. This is my time, my moment, where I've deemed it is the proper time to step in. So we're going to look at the book of Psalms, chapter 130, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. And it has a subtitle, A Song of Degrees." Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, should have marked iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So we see here, out of the depths, cries are being made unto God. So that shows us here that Even when you're in the depths of your sins, of your hurts or your fears, whatever it may be, God is awaiting your repentance if you're in the midst of sin so that he can forgive and redeem you from them. We see here that it's not like he wants you to suffer or to be tormented. It says in him, in verse 4, there is forgiveness with thee. That thou mayest be feared. That's a reverential fear, a sense of adoration for him and how he steps in to comfort us, to give us peace. Even when we've messed up worldly, he steps in and says, I'm not here to make you feel small or to humiliate you. Now that you have a heart of repentance, I'm welcoming you back in. Even if you've been out of fold and I'm restoring you and forgiving you for what you did. And one of the things that just caught my eye Right now, it's in verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait. And it says, and in his word do I hope. If you're in a situation where you're with the Lord and it starts to feel hopeless, well, my question to you, if you ever felt that way, are you in his word? Because what does it say here? It says, and in his word do I hope. So if you're in a place of fear, devastation, hopelessness, you've got to ask yourself, If you're waiting in his word, or if you're waiting in dwelling upon my fears, obsessing about my problem, calling everybody all over the place, where am I waiting for God? Am I waiting in his word? Because if you're waiting in his word, it's shown us here, that in his word is where your hope is resides we got to get in his word while we're waiting patiently on him if we want to have hope that there's going to be a resolution to our situation amen and it's doubling it here in the verses six it says my soul waited for the lord more than they that watch for the morning. It says that twice. You'll learn in biblical exegesis. Anytime it duplicates something, especially in a sentence, it's basically saying, watch this closely. Take heed to this. It's basically showing us that we should have a sense of anticipation. Our soul should be waiting, waiting patiently, amen, and anticipating in God and trusting in him. And he's going to do his thing, which is to show off at the proper time, amen, our time, and show himself strong, and deliver us from our circumstances. But we got to not only wait for God, but we got to wait for him in his word, according to biblical principles, so that we can get through the process. And the final thing that I want to share is from Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It says, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, save my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. So a lot of times we hate waiting. Let's be honest. We do not like to wait. We want it now. We're in a microwave generation. I got a problem. Throw it in the microwave, push it one minute, and my problem is solved. It doesn't matter whether you took 10 years to create your problem. You want a one-minute resolution from God. <laughs> but things don't work that well all the time. So we see here that we should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And it says that is a good thing. Amen? But the great thing about it is that sometimes you wait, and you might say, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to survive this process of waiting. But we see here that the answer to being nourished and satisfied in the midst of our waiting is actually found in this passage of Scripture. Verse 21, it says, The Lord is my portion, save my soul. That portion is kind of like they talk about in military rations. You get your portion or your rations. Or if you're in jail, you get your rations. You don't want to be in jail, but you get your portion. So if you're waiting on something, we see here that it says you don't have to worry about the money coming in or that person helping you or that job coming through. It says the Lord himself is your portion. He is the one that we have to focus on and said, I can't trust in man or businesses or the economy God is my nurture; He is my portion. And as I have hope in him, he is going to restore my situation. Amen. No matter how dark it may be. And we see here that it's a good thing for us to both not only wait, but to continue to have hope. We can't allow hope to leave us in the midst of our waiting process. So we trust in God. He's going to come through. And I just love this. You know, this is like a song we sing. Verse 23. The steadfast love. Of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. What uh They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh Lord. Great is thy faith Fullness. The steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They are new every morning new every morning great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness oh lord great is thy faithfulness let's give the lord a hand clap amen thank you jesus hallelujah thank you lord praise the lord thank you lord Hallelujah. At this time, uh, if anybody needs prayer, this is something you've been waiting on in God. Amen. Hallelujah. Feel free to come forward. It could be educational. It could be health. It could be relational. Whatever it is. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord.